Welcome to season three of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, Esports 101, Building a Business. Over the past year, we've talked with many esports professionals around the world. Our audience knows how to play games, and now they are eager to level up their skills in the business arena. This season aims to equip every esports entrepreneur with practical and useful knowledge to achieve success. Think of it as a mini course, Esports 101. And now your host, Tom Leonard. I'm Tom Leonard. I'm the host of the Gamers Change Lives podcast, where we talk about how esports can create jobs anywhere in the world. Play games, great jobs, change lives. In season one, we talked about jobs. In season two, we talked about, we call it follow the money. We talked about how to raise money out for sponsorship, for investment, for an esports enterprise. And now in season three, we're talking about business basics, how to build an esports business. And today, I'm really honored to have uh, Boban, uh, the Se- General Secretary of the International Esports Federation, as our guest. Welcome, Boban. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit about it. Uh, just um, maybe our discussion could be a little bit more like an introduction of you and what you're doing there, uh, of um, y- your background. I always like to tell, ask people how they got into esports. Talk a little bit about the role of international esports organizations in the esports ecosystem, because I, I think that to a certain degree, not everyone understands what 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 they do and what they don't do. And so this is this is a super opportunity for us and our audience to be able to hear that from someone that's right there doing it. And then thirdly, I'd like to talk more about the International Esports Federation uh, and what it is that that you are up to there. Because at the end of season two, we had a bonus episode. We talked to Kwesi Hayford in Ghana, talking about taking his team from Ghana to Bali. And it was probably one of the most fun episodes because there were like almost everyone on the team was there. And once you got them started talking about this adventure of a lifetime, it was, it, it, they were just, they were just off to the races. It was such a great episode. And it was all, uh, because of what, um, the IESF was able to do with, with the world championship. So I, I just really want to talk a lot about that. But first, let's start out a little bit about, um, your background. What got you into gaming and esports? Well, uh, it happened like almost 20 years ago, uh, when, uh, I was, uh, general uh director of uh, it magazine it tv show and as we were writing uh, and everything we slowly saw that there is a separate gaming community that you know they want to read also information about gaming not all information was available online 20 years ago as it is now so we made a separate gaming edition uh, of the magazine and then a year later, we saw the huge interest and uh, the company opened the, an internet club, a gaming club, which is huge, 600 square meters with 120 PCs, separate VIP rooms and everything. I'm talking 2005. So uh, that's when actually I started directly to communicate with the gaming community, with the gamers. And uh, the first event that I ever went to was World Cyber Games in Singapore in 2005. And that's actually when I saw the flags. Uh, we brought uh, a team from Macedonia all the way to Singapore. And that's when I saw the flags on the main stage, when I saw the kids, how proud and how happy they were to be able to represent their countries uh, on an esports event, you know, and it felt like the Olympics for esports. And th- I got, I, I fall in love immediately. And uh, since then, I'm uh, trying to develop it as an organization. So I'm not, my experience is more, most in the federation part, 
in the grassroots levels, not in the professional level. level. Of course, I follow what's happening on the pro scene, but where we are working and what I am developing and doing my entire life is developing a federation. I'm from Macedonia, uh, where esports is recognized last year as a sport. So we are equal to, let's say, football, to basketball, to all other sports uh, here. Uh, it took a lot of time. Uh, the federation was created in 2009, so it took us uh, approximately 13 years to get recognized. Uh, we're submitting a lot of documents. And the issues that the Macedonian Federation has, I think that majority of the other federations in the world are also facing the same issues, problems, uh, financing, how to work, how to operate it properly. And this is one of the main reasons why in 2019, I, uh, I, I filed uh, the candidacy to become a board member of ISF. Uh, I was elected, uh, 2019. And after years of board member, because when you make decisions as a board, you have a board meeting and then voting, but you cannot actually do the operational stuff. And, um, it happened that the general secretary uh, at that point, uh, was replaced and I was like acting general secretary for a year. But it turned out to be a really uh, good fit, both for me and my capacity and both for the entire team and the federation and everything, because I'm there protecting them and I'm there there to help them because I know the struggles. I've been through them myself. So it's not something I read from a book or something I saw someone else doing. I was the one doing it myself in this country and in the region. I helped a lot of countries and this gives me an extra uh, motivation also and the credibility to operate. I, I just wanted to repeat that because that is so important. Because as you were describing it, I was thinking, you know, you've come from a background of being really involved in a national esports organization. And so you know from your role in, in, at an international esports organization what the guys down there are dealing with. with and that's that's got to, to... I just wanted to repeat that because that is so important. That makes it so much more valuable uh, for uh, your experience there. Just esports, international esports organizations, just in general, not necessarily the IESF specifically, but it, what role do they play? What what uh, what do they do for the esports ecosystem? Well, uh, let's say, for example, uh, the most important part of ISF is the membership of 130 countries. Um, and of course, our crown uh, is the world championship that we're doing every year. Before 2019, the system in order to go to the world championship was uh, evaluating the administrative and uh, some not so relevant um, operations of the national federation. It was not competition oriented. And also in order to come to the world championship, your federation needs to be, if it's recognized by the government, five points. If you have general meetings every year and you send minutes, five points. If you have uh, publicly displayed the entire board, five minutes. And Five points. And by that criteria, every year it was almost the same countries going there. Because uh, not everybody, you know, you need to help them develop. Uh, up to 2019, ISF waited for them to develop and then uh, accept them. So this is something that we switched quickly because now the National Federation, they have tools. They guaranteed know that they're going to the world championship. So this is a tool for them to go to the government to go to the Ministry of Sports, to go to sponsors, to go anywhere and tell them, look, guys, we are going... Of course, last year was Bali. It was too exotic. The name itself was easy. Now it's in Romania. Um, for us, it's like neighboring countries quite close. 
But for most of the world, uh, it's not so exotic as last year. But still, going there on the World Championship, it's going to be another outdoor event with huge stage and uh, in front of a huge palace uh, that they have in the city. And this is a unique opportunity for everybody uh, to do something. We are also uh, explaining to them how they properly develop, how they do their national qualifying systems, how they make sure that they reach out to each and every uh, community in their countries. Uh, we are doing marketing uh, lessons. We are sharing free educational courses for basics of esports to our friends from NASEF. And uh, the, the course is $500. Uh, we got 20 uh, licenses per federation uh, last year. And there are still some of them are using it uh, as we speak. So people are learning. We are educating them. We are teaching them how to do it. And we are helping them grow and develop. We don't give directly financial uh, support to federations, because not everybody is there yet, and you cannot do it only for two. You either need to do it for everybody or not do it at all, because we still want to be fair uh, to everybody. And this is why uh, every federation can send a player in the single titles, which is eFootball and Tekken, to the World Championship and the delegate. So that's the minimum that every federation gets uh, to go there. For the rest of the uh, titles, which are the team titles, we are doing regional competitions. And this is how we actually select the best teams so we can have a better competition at the World Championship. Not just the best federation, but the best teams from the country through national selection, and then they go to regionals, and every region gets a slot. So when the final comes there, we are sure that the top 24 teams, uh, all the continents will be equally represented. Yeah, we know there is a huge difference in the quality of Counter-Strike from Africa to Europe. But still, all doesn't mean that the African Counter-Strike team shouldn't be there and try to, you know, at least learn, uh, practice with the best players from the world, uh, communicate with them, network. I, I don't even know how many players sold themselves to teams after the World Championship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So this is this just, just the test. There's so many different things there that I want to get into in a little bit more detail because I think you're doing some really good things. First, talking about the um, the organization itself, the IESF. What's its history? How did it start? Who who started it? 2008, uh, nine countries that were part of World Cyber Games uh, decided to create ISF. Uh, among which I don't remember all nine, but I remember uh, it was uh, Korea, Russia. Serbia, uh, Romania, uh, Finland, and I don't remember the other uh, countries. They created it because the way World Cyber Games was developing, it became a company. I mean, it is a company, but uh, it turned more into business. And that's actually when World Cyber Game, we, every federation was promoting and uh, you know doing marketing for World Cyber Games everywhere in the countries. And the year came when World Cyber Games tried to charge the national federations for the IP World Cyber Games, which the federations actually built throughout the year. It was quite unfair uh, that happened, and that's why World Cyber Games doesn't exist now, um, especially because Samsung cut their sponsorship at that time because Samsung was the main sponsor. And uh, these people saw that happening, saw that coming, and then they created uh, the International Esports Federation. So it's like this is our 15th world championship that we're doing this year. Wow. No, in, in the esports world, that's quite a history. I mean, 15 yeah. years. I mean, yeah. that, that, that's a long time compared to uh, other things that are uh, 
are happening. And especially every year we have, sorry to interrupt you, we have every year General Assembly with voting. Uh, all the Federation have the right to voice and the full members have the right to vote. So they're voting, they're filing motions. If they don't like something in the Federation, uh, they can submit the motion. They can explain to all the members uh, on the General Assembly speak. And everybody can change the statutes. Everybody can change the way the organization works and moves forward. How many members do you have? 130. And it's, it will be, uh, it will be 140 by the end of the year. Oh, wow. You're, you're going for it there. It's like, you look competitive there. Uh, uh, so, um, how does, how does a, an organization, well, I guess here's kind of my question. Who are the members? So are they federations? Are they organizations or is it the country or individuals who makes up the, the, when you say, okay, um, Ghana is a member. Who is actually uh, the member in Ghana? It's a legal entity from Ghana, which is uh, registered as a non-profit organization that is created uh, by, depending on the country, some countries, for example, in Macedonia, you need to be, the federation is to be created by clubs, not by physical persons. In some countries, it's allowed physical persons to create, to be the founders of the federation and then accept the teams as members of the federation. So in every country, it's different. Uh, but in order to become a full member of ISF, uh, the nonprofit is a must. Uh, of course, recognition from the government or from the ministry is always preferred. And because there are in, in some countries, there are two or three federations. I think in Ghana is a similar case. So um, this is a problem. There are also it happened in Libya. It happened in Egypt. It happened in Tunisia. So it happened in Brazil, in uh, Mexico, in a lot of countries in the world. There are two federations. And. It's very hard to get them to work together um, because, you know, everybody wants to be the one. But this is bad for the ecosystem. This is bad on international level. It's also bad on the national level because it confuses the government. It confuses the sponsors. Uh, it confuses the community. They don't know who to talk to. You know, imagine having, I don't know, two different uh, ministries of sport in a country. So who is in charge for what? Everybody's doing something, you know. And this duality is... Uh, is actually creating a lot of problems. I think that if that didn't happen in the world, we would already be members of GAIS, uh, of the Global Association of International Sport Federations, when we applied uh, two years ago. But unfortunately, ADAS dissolved that organization, so they don't exist. So now we need to reapply to another one. No, it's, it's just like here, here in the US, years and years ago, when there was the American Football League and the National Football League. Yeah. And it was like, you know, they, they were like, you know, eventually, now, they all merged. I mean, it's like, you know, and they're stronger That's the because of it. So, um, yeah. What are the different levels of members for you? Do you have, is, are there, you said, I heard you say full members. So are there, are there other levels of membership there? And yes. what's the distinction between them? Well, associate member is a member that's not developed up to the level or a member that uh, needs more time or needs more education or training from us how to properly create the federation in the country. Uh, and they have the right to vote, uh, to voice, to speak on the General Assembly. They have right to go to the competitions. So they have every right that the full member has, except the right to vote. That's the difference. And they need to develop themselves. And then on the General Assembly, they need to present their federation and the membership, uh, the country's vote. So it cannot be done. Nobody can become a full member of ISF unless... Uh, voted by the General Assembly. Associate members are done by, we have a membership committee and the board. 
the membership committee reviews the documents, uh, do one or two interviews, and then onboard them to become associate members and give them the tools that we had to go to the world championship, to the national qualifiers, designs, everything. And we are explaining to them how to do it. For example, in some countries, to register a federation takes six months, maybe a year. And if we wait, they're going to lose time. They're not going to be able to participate. So in some countries, we have a nonprofit that's either for mind sports or that's uh, for other sport as associate member and or as I call them, a placeholder um, until the true federation is uh, created, registered, so they can uh, move forward, such as the situation with uh, Greece, for example. So how, um, what does it cost for someone to, to be a part? of your organization? There used to be an application fee of $2,000, which uh, I had to pay in Macedonia uh, back in 2013. But uh, the moment we came on board, we uh, annulled that because not every federation has the $2,000 just to apply to become a member. If you don't get accepted, you lose the money. And that's not the the way we as ISF should make money uh, from the federations or from the potential federation. I can see the reason why, because there were a lot of like fake federations or fake organizations supplying, and they wanted to, you know, minimize that so they don't lose the manpower. But now that uh, we have uh, like 15 Macedonians here working for ISF, uh, reading the documents and everything goes much uh, much faster and much easier. Uh, so we can we have the capacity to evaluate if they should be an associate member or not. There is only annual membership fee, which is $500. And that's more... No, that sounds- just to check if they have the bank account, if they have capacity or something like that. And we don't, uh, in the past, if you don't pay for a year, next year you're not in good standing, so you cannot send a team. But again, we're not punishing the community or the teams. We're not sanctioning them because the federation couldn't pay $500. What we do is try to find a way to help them to find the $500 from sponsors, from companies, connect them, network them, so they can actually uh, be operational. Does the IESF then you have sponsors as well, right? That's how uh, you also get funding. We have uh, the main sponsor is the Korean Ministry of Culture, Sport, and Tourism, MCST. Uh, that's the organization that is actually covering all our basic expenses and the headquarters in Korea, which are the the, the HR itself. Uh, human resources are the most costly uh, expense that we have as an organization. Um, now we have developed in the meantime, our in-house marketing team. We are developing our in-house, in-house competition team. Part of the things we outsource, but we're trying to get as much as we can in-house because of the, because it's very specific. Uh, you know, and, uh, hiring a random marketing agency doesn't help, uh, esports. Even if you hire an esport agency, that esport marketing agency is only aware of the professional ESL, PGL, Blast uh, type of competition. They are not used to what we are doing. And it's different communication, different level, different strategies. This is why we decided to, to do that uh, in-house. And of course, uh, our main source of income is the license fee for the World Championship. Okay. Yeah, that, that, um, yeah, that makes sense. One of the things you talked about is um, training, which I think is, is really interesting because you're, you're also, I guess another step back is you were talking about you want to figure out ways to allow the um, the teams to participate in the global champion the world championships, and that you're doing things like helping them raise money or helping them. How do you, how do you work with those uh, member com- countries that maybe have more difficulty raising funds? How do you work with them so that they can raise funds that 
What, what do you teach them? Uh, well, first of all, we help them develop their social media. Uh, we create the entire design packages, everything for them. We send it to them so they can public, uh, so they can announce it, so they can publish it uh, on their social media. We talk to their governments. We talk to the ministry. We send them a support letter. And if we have like a global sponsor, uh, we always uh, tell the sponsors. Now we have, for example, the, the biggest issues we have is uh, currently in the countries is Haiti. As, uh, but they managed because we created for them the designs. Uh, we helped them finding uh, casters. We covered some of the expenses for that. So we, we don't give money, but we give them services they need. So we have uh, uh, two people hired in uh, Argentina that are handling the Pan-American region. And they were fully committed helping them to do their national qualifiers and everything. So we, don't, we, we cannot always help with money, everyone, because we don't have for every federation. But we help them with manpower, with knowledge and experience. And, you know, just like a guideline and a tutorial and everything, step-by-step instructions, how to do proper national qualifiers, how to approach the sponsor. We give them pitch decks that they can custom, just put their logos there and go to uh, sponsors and to companies and uh, get money. Is some of that same training done through, through NACEF, I think you said? Uh, NACEF is doing the educational part. So this one, working with the federations, is something that we do in-house. Now, I think it's so, so critical. And that's one of the things we always talk about here at the podcast is we want to be, you know, to let people know. I mean, we're, we're not going to have all the answers, but just get people start to thinking about, well, oh, maybe we're, where can they? Success uh, story from one country works in another. Not all of them, but, you know, and they have different success stories. So once you share them and you tell people, look, this is what France did. This is what Germany did. This is what, I don't know, Korea did. Uh-huh, and they come up with the idea, okay, I'll do this in my country. And they start. That's exactly what we want to be doing here is t- telling those kind of stories. And especially telling the stories from uh, from places like Ghana. Because yeah. they're the people in, in Senegal, the people in... Uh, uh, Oh, awesome. uh, you, you, you have, Kwesi was talking about you, um, a team from Chad. Yeah. At, at Bali. It's like, wow. Yeah. I mean, it just to, to come from places 18, like that. 18 African countries. Can you imagine 18 countries from Africa, 18 players, teams being in Bali there? For them, it was a unique experience. And now they're going to spread that and, you know. Yes. Uh, yeah, yeah, because like Quissy was saying, he says, we were the last ones to leave. He said, we did not want to go. Uh, it's like, I can imagine. From Bali. But but the other, the other story that we keep hearing over and over again is when someone goes to an event like this, it's when they get to the airport. It's when they get to the airport, their families are there that, for the players. Then they realize, hey, this is real. No. This is really going to happen. And it's just like, it's just, it's just a, a, a switch there. Yeah, they don't believe that's the problem. They can't believe because they've been told that so many times until now by other organizations or companies or things that were trying to become a federation. And it doesn't happen, you know, because it's not equal. Only the best can go. And we want to eliminate only the best can go to get everybody to go. Can you talk a little bit more detail about the qualification process? Because one of the things that we, uh, when we were talking to about people about the Olympics, is like whether esports should be included in the Olympics or not. One of the things to always consider and anything like that is what it takes to get to the point, get to get to the Olympics. It's not like everyone decides, oh, let's go to the Olympics tomorrow. It's like, no, it's a multi-year of, of, of planning things out there. And, and you guys live this every day. It's like, how do you do the qualifications? Um, or, 
yeah, what's the process there to make sure that that the right people are getting yeah invited? So um, the competition part, uh, the way we are handling it from uh, ISF side, in the past uh, there were no regional. But as I told you, it was only you know points for operations, and then you go. Uh, the national uh, federations are responsible for selecting their teams. Unfortunately, uh, some federations are selecting friends rather than players. Some of them are not doing tournaments. We have identified, we had seven people that, uh, for example, in football, they didn't score a single goal in all the competitions. Um, people that lost all the matches in Tekken in less than five seconds. Uh, people that didn't know how to properly play Counter-Strike and were there. Because we track those things. Uh, but we're not, again, sanctioning. We're just issuing warning letters to the federations for next year to try to get profession, professional as much as they can, semi-pro or pro players or real players that are actually playing the game. Um, the national qualifiers, this year we had to shorten the period because our world championship is in August. Uh, they're finishing next week Friday in all over the world. So by 31st of March, we know who the national representatives are for each and every country. Um, in order to get to top 16 teams to go to uh, the world championship for the team titles, we are doing regional competition. For example, in Africa, Africa is three regions. Each region gets a slot for the title, and the best team, whoever wins in the region, is the one going to the world championship. This is for the team titles. If football and taken, everybody that registered, they are going to go to, to the world championship because the rest of it, you cannot bring everybody. It's a lot of players, a lot of people, and you will need like a month for the competition. So, uh, unfortunately, those competitions are now online. Uh, this idea was born during COVID and it turned out to be a good idea to have the regional competitions that lead to the world championship because it gives a lot of engagement, uh, to the audience, to the national federation, to everyone that they are playing the qualifiers. Um, next year, the plan is to have all the regionals offline. Next year, we will have five events, uh, the four continental and one world championship, uh, in Bali. So the best teams from each continent, from each region, they play out online. And then we start the process to get them to go to to, to the World Championship now in Romania. Visas, tickets, and all those uh, operational things. So right now, you um, um, the, the Federation will fund travel and accommodation, is that right? Yes. For, for anyone who qualifies to go? Yeah. Uh, is there anything else that you, you cover that you pay for? Uh, flights. Hotels, uh, we give them gift packs, something like this, uh, to the players and, uh, local transportation there. They're only responsible for the visas. That's the only access that they have. Do you also help with the visas? Yes. I mean, as far as making them happen, I mean, not necessarily the, yeah. the fee. We help them. We're trying the best way now. We have identified countries, uh, for example, Djibouti needs to go to Egypt to get a visa. Now, we have identified this like two weeks ago, although the event is in August, but we are working now and talking to the embassy in Egypt to accept an online uh, application because people don't understand how big Africa actually is, how far is uh, to go there. You know, uh, it's like one day trip only in one uh, destination just to go and apply for the visa. So we are trying to find solutions for everywhere. We are signing letters of guarantee that uh, those people are not going to stay there. Because uh, Romania is European Union, so it's a bit more strict, you know, entry there. Because if you enter Romania, then there is no border. You can go to Germany without documents, right? Yeah. And that's uh, that's one of the where the governments are concerned. 
and they are asking us to guarantee that they're on the run, that we ask the federations to guarantee. Some federations are collecting, as soon as they arrive, are collecting the passports from the players, so they make sure that they return, because we had situations in the past that the players just vanished. Oh, I know. It's Port Liberation. No, we're, no, no. And I, we're working with um, helping to get some um, visas to come into the U.S. to go to yeah. new events here because yeah. because it's like it's not the easiest thing for someone from um, Senegal to yeah. to walk in and get a, a visa yeah. to come to the U.S. and uh, they were able to get ten year visa. Yeah, I, I have, I have one, I have one. But the thing is, there is esports visa in the United States, so I think that for this is. Uh, it's possible. It's doable. No, and that's one of the one of the great things. You know, certainly you're working with an organization like yours. I mean, people are going to, uh, you know, the the governments are going to understand. Oh, this is a real thing. I mean, this is uh, uh, something that that that's real out there. And we just had uh, the United States beating. They want to do the 26th uh, World Championship there. And the first thing that comes to me is, oh, visas. You know, Middle East people going to the uh, United States because we have Palestine, we have Poso, we have, you know, all the countries. Uh, we have Chinese Taipei or Taiwan. Everybody's a member. Macau. Getting visas to the United States for all those 130 countries, it's going to be. Is Iran? Iran is a member. Iraq also. Yeah. Both. Yeah. Yeah, because it's just... Yeah. But that's that's part of the, the challenge is to see how it, 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 it all... It's a, did you say you you decided to have it in the U.S.? No, they just uh, applied. They, this is a bidding process also, the Paris, uh, end of uh, this month. Uh, and we have uh, cities and countries and partners and people bidding uh, to become the next host. And we want to sell 24, 25, and 26. So we can start thinking. Yeah, it's, like, like, yeah, it's, like, a, it's like awarding the Olympics. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I don't. It's, it's, no, and that's one of the reasons we keep wanting to talk. We keep wanting to talk about esports as much as we can to as many people as we can. So they start realizing what a big deal no. it actually is because a lot of times people don't understand um, that that uh, what it is and and what it, it can do out there. When people come to events like the World Championship, who who all who all attends? Is it just the players? Is it the coaches? Is it the managers? Well, some of the teams, uh, we are still not there to be able to send uh, also team coaches and managers uh, to cover them financially because we're covering only the players and one delegate per country. But some of the countries which are capable, they are paying their own tickets and uh, sending a coach uh, or another delegate to come there so they can discuss businesses and network with other countries. And plus, our staff is there. The local staff is there. I think that last year we had about 280 people working on the event in Bali, out of which 120 were volunteers. And this year, I think uh, the number is going to be double. That's great. No, that's that's one of the things. That, uh, I mean, that's what we're here for is to talk about jobs. Yeah. And it's like this is how jobs are created. How many people work at the IESF? Currently, 22. And all there in Macedonia? No, some are in Macedonia, some are in Korea, and we have two in Argentina. And we want to get to in Africa <clears throat> to have everybody in the continent because no matter how much I like Africa or understand or can operate something, someone from within the continent knows it much better uh, than we know how to communicate with everybody. And this is so hopefully next year uh, we're planning to not open an office, but to find two people from Africa to actually represent by itself. Nah, that, 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 that would be, uh, that would be good. When you're talking about 
going back to training for just a second here, because one of the things that I, I, I remember Quasi talking about that he attended some training. Yes. Not, not as a player, but no. as a, uh, a, but as a, a representative of the, uh, the esports federation to help him. And so, uh, so that, that was training that, that you give to, to people that, that show up. Yep. Everybody that goes there gets training. This year we have even more intensified courses now in education and explaining them how to properly do it even, even better because it's not, like you, you reach the level and that's it. Okay. I'm done. I'm going to just go in, uh, you know, uh, do it like this forever. No, you frequently have to go up and down and invent new things, uh, to reach, uh, better the communities and give additional services to the players. What kinds of activities do you do to, to network, um, different teams together? One of the things that I really like talking about, hearing about when the, the Ghana team, they were talking about all these, these p- people who, um, Particularly, there were, there were people who they have looked up to their entire life, that they've, they've watched their YouTube videos, their online videos to, to get them to learn how to play. And now they're talking to them and playing against them, uh, directly. Do you have at the, at the national, uh, at the, at the events, do you also have, have it organized in a way that people can network with each other? Yeah. Yeah. I just outside of the tournaments, uh, they, we have, uh, like, uh, welcoming party. We have, uh, reception, the delegates, uh, we have, before the General Assembly, we have an entire day, which we call unconference. <clears throat> and that's the day when everybody can talk about anything to all the members. So they are listening to them. They are following up. Uh, everybody's saying what they want to change, what they like, what they don't like. And on all the breaks, you don't actually need to do anything to network. They just network themselves. It's really a, a, a unique thing to, to go there and see. I don't know. You're mentioning the guys from Senegal. The guys from Senegal were the happiest people in Bali, were the most positive people there. And they influenced other people to become also happy because everybody was, oh, it's so hot. It's so moist. I can't breathe. But the guys were so happy and smiling and positive all the time. And they, they spread it around the other team to the other people, you know, yeah, look, Senegal is smiling. Okay. Let's smile. And it became something like a story that we were telling there. So and the networking, we are bringing them there. They're all in the same place. They cannot go anywhere. And the only thing left for them, for example, is just to network, talk, and exchange experience. Of course, the teams that are competing against each other, they don't talk before their game. They talk after they think. Yeah. It's just such an opportunity to, to do that network. Yeah. Um, there for the players and the players as well as the, the non-players. Yeah. Yeah. Man. What, what games are, do you include in the world? Well, we have, uh, in yeah, world championship, strike and Dota is for PC. We have uh, eFootball and Tekken for PlayStation 5. And we have Mobile Legends and uh, PUBG Mobile for mobile. So it's 2-2-2. Two, two, two. Does that ever change? Uh, it used to change a lot. And this is the first year we are doing the same title twice, three times in a row since the new management of ISA. Because we want to keep uh, doing it. We can maybe add another or a promotional title or something. But definitely we don't want to remove any of the titles. Right, because then the players that went there last year, I mean, they, I, I mean, I keep seeing the road to Romania all over the place. It's like you know that people are 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 doing their qualifications for yeah, road to Yash. Yeah. So, um, I also saw on your background something about the Wesco. Yeah. It, what, what is that organization? What is it? Well, uh, Wesco is a World Esports Consortium. It's a consortium created in Brazil uh, by Daniel Cozy and probably some of a few of his partners. Uh, we signed an MOU in the past because 
Uh, Wesco was an organization that was actually in the beginnings, um, fighting the, the processes in ISF, all the bureaucracy and administrative uh, blockades and everything that existed uh, then in ISF. Um, and they were fighting it. But the moment the new management came in, we sat down on the table and discussed, we signed an MOU to, let's say, not, not to attack or not to, uh, destroy someone's credibility or try because you can sit down and talk bad about FIFA, about Formula One, about NBA. If you start looking for uh, something dirty, or th- you can find it. And but there is no point of ruining it. But people are enjoying it, and everything is good. Um, their activities uh, are were actually pretty tight to China, tight to China and uh, overseas. But you know what happens? What happened with the COVID? And China is pretty closed now for businesses for everything. So they are they are not dormant but they are at the moment uh just networking getting members there uh putting up the structure rules regulation things like that and they're waiting for the chinese market to open so they can re-engage uh, with the members and the audience but it's a business aspect it's a consortium it's not federation like ours so anybody can be a member there got it you just pay yeah. your dues it's like uh no because one of the things i think is interesting talking to you and your background your 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 background is so much in organizations in large organizations and nonprofits and others that are working to do. And, and that's different than uh, some of the people we've talked to that uh, we talked to the guy the other day that uh, Victor Castor, who does um, esports at West Point here in the U S and is someone like that is like, uh, that's a whole different yeah. mindset of building a team and so on. So, but you're, you're in the, you're in the, uh, I can tell by talking to you, you're in the, uh, uh, I can tell that you're easy to deal with a lot of different personalities, a lot of different people, and you're not going to get wound up with a lot of drama on different yeah, things. I mean, yeah. that- there is a lot of drama, but uh, I'm already used to it. And, you know, I'm teaching them, I'm helping them to avoid the drama and, you know, develop properly the way they should. Yes. No, which, which is great. No, no. Uh, can you tell me a little bit, of, bit more about uh, North Macedonia? Because you're probably the first person that I've ever talked to that comes from, uh, comes from there. And, um, it, so, um, what, what, what's, can you describe a little bit more about the country and the esports scene there? Yeah. Well, it's just quite small country. Now we have from last year a new name and it used to be Macedonia. Now we are North Macedonia. And that's because of the politic, uh, political issue that we had with Greece. And, uh, they have the IP on the name Macedonia because they're in the European Union, which is ridiculous. For me and for all the young people here in the country that they really don't care or want to fight about it. They just want to solve this. Uh, we are still not members of the European Union because now after Greece told us your name is ours, now Bulgaria is telling us that our language is theirs. So um, it's again, we're blocked to go into the European Union to get a bit more uh, financially developed and open new markets uh, for exporting. Um, it's 2 million people in total out of which... Uh, I think that about 300,000 left the country in the past 10 years, seeking uh, better fortunes in Australia, in Europe, in the States. And there are quite large communities of Macedonia, especially in Australia. And um, the esports scene, uh, it's funny that it was more developed 20 years ago than it's now. Uh, because when we were sending teams to World Cyber Games and everywhere in the past, everybody was waiting for the event and practicing. And we had about 200 Counter-Strike teams operating in the country. Now we have like 30 teams. Yeah, the level is much better of those 30, but the amount of new people and onboarding new players is going down. It's not going up. That's a problem. So if we had 200 players for eFootball, 
Uh, this year we had 150. So the number is decreasing and there are no new kids coming in uh, to play professionally because they still don't understand that they can have a salary for this. And we just got recognized last year. And in order to start getting money from the government, we need to be members recognized for two years. So the government funding for the Macedonian Esports Federation will come next year. And that's when actually my term ends, though I have to resign because of, it's not, there is no conflict of interest. I'm not voting whenever there is a decision for Macedonia, but it is a conflict of interest. And that's why next year, when we start getting governmental money, I'll, I'll, I'll resign from the position of president of the federation. Now, one of the great things here is I get to, I get to learn yeah. lots of things about yeah. the world. It, it talking to people. Yeah. That, that's the most. The biggest benefit I have is traveling everybody and meeting new people and understanding their cultures and respecting it and, you know, just take their perspective on things in life. Oh, it's, it's, it, that, yeah. Yeah. To just be able to have, I was a peace uh, volunteer in, in a previous life. I, I was in Fiji in the South Pacific, which was not a hardship location at all, but, but it just, yeah, it opens your eyes when you, when you go and you live in it yeah. and so on. Hey, I'm not going to take your whole mm-hmm. day here. It's well, my whole morning. Um, but I, I really appreciate you uh, taking a little bit of time here. Uh, where can people find you online to learn more about what it is that, that you guys are Well, we are on the LinkedIn. We have our webpage, isf.org. Uh, we are on LinkedIn, on the Instagram. We have divided the communication. Uh, so, for example, on Instagram, we are teaching, uh, we are focused on the, the gaming community. On LinkedIn, we are doing the business part, like blogs, writing text, and everything. On the webpage, you can find everything especially the statutes, the rules, who our members are, because uh, we know there are multiple organizations that claim to be the international body for esports, but once you go in deep to read on the webpage and try to find the members and everything, you can see that there are no members. There's just an announcement of members, but you cannot see the list of members, who their members are. On our webpage, every member is listed with their webpage, with their contact details, with everything. So you want to do something in Ghana, you go on our webpage, you click on Ghana, you can see who the member is, contact, talk to them. We have a very, very developed athletes committee also. Um, now soon there's going to be on the webpage a way if someone wants to complain, a player wants to complain because now they're doing it on social media, but we are creating a special platform now to, to make sure that we hear what the players are saying because sometimes even the federations can make mistakes and we need to correct them. And the players sending us complaints. We have an ethics committee and they're making the decisions, uh, how to, should we sanction? Should we educate? Should we move forward or which way we resolve the issue? Do you have any idea how many people are, are there are on all the teams that are associated with, uh, IEF? Yeah, the federations. Yeah. How many, how many people are you, are you reaching? Are you touching out there? Uh, players, we're touching, uh, uh, yeah. players, uh, players that are coming. Uh, that are playing are 3,000, but the players that are competing to be those 3,000 are somewhere between uh, two and 300,000 players. And that's because, and because China is not playing. If China plays, that number will be huge. Yes, yes. No, the, it, it, again, really appreciate your time here uh, talking to us. Uh, thanks for listening to the Gamers Change Lives podcast. Two new things we have this, this season, season three. We have worksheets. Exercise worksheets for every episode. Go to the website, gamerschangelives.com, uh, podcast.com and you can download the worksheets. Continue, uh, the con, uh, the, the learning of what we're teaching here in season three. Also go check out our new Facebook group because the best people to listen to, uh, learn from are each other. So go check those out. So 
Thanks again, Boba. Thank you for the opportunity. Always a pleasure. Great. Thanks for listening. Play games, create jobs, change lives. You've just heard the Gamers Change Lives podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment and leave a review. And if you haven't subscribed, do so right now so that you can stay up to date with episodes as soon as they're uploaded. And so you can hit the ground running on changing your esports adventure forever. You can also visit us at GamersChangeLivesPodcast.com. Play games, create jobs, change lives. Thanks for listening.